0: right Good morning, Central. How's everyone today? Right. Awesome. You look great. If you're watching us online this morning, we're so glad you're joining us. If you are in the concourse, on, out on couches or tables, man, thanks for, for being here this morning. As you just saw, we are continuing a series that's called "That's a Great Question." And there's a threefold purpose for this series. First of all, if you're a Christian, we want you to grow deeper, deeper in your understanding of biblical truth. Second, we want you to be able to have confidence to step into conversations with people about cultural issues so that you can share with them what you believe from a biblical perspective. And then the third thing is no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we hope these messages will bring you one step closer to fully surrendering your life to Christ. The question we're answering today is, when will the world end? When will the world end? You know, there have been all kinds of predictions with dates about, about when the Lord's going to return or when the, the world is, is going to come to an end. Um, Edgar, uh, Wissen, uh, Edgar Wissenant uh, wrote a book in 1988. It was called, uh, before 1988, it was called 88 Reasons Why the is Going to Happen in 1988. <laughs> Edgar missed it a little bit. Um, more recently in 2012, people were saying that it was the end of the Mayan calendar, and that at the end of the calendar, the world was either going to come to an end or it was going to be the beginning of a new age, and that, that didn't come about. So let me ask you this morning, it, is Jesus coming back soon? Is Jesus coming back in our lifetime? If so, how do you know? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would understand the, 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 the truth, the, the timeline that you've given us for the last days that we'd be mindful of it, we'd understand it, we'd be confident to talk to others about it, and Lord, that we would be fully convinced in our own minds of, of, of what these last days really look like, in Jesus' name, amen. There was a time back in the ancient world when we didn't have cell phones, internet, or GPS. It was a dark day back then. Instead, we relied on maps, street signs, and verbal directions. I can remember on more than one occasion going to someone's house, a friend or something, and, and I'd never been there before, and I didn't know how to get there. And they would either write down directions or they would, they would tell me directions. They, they'd say something along these lines. They'd say, "Hey, hey, Wills, when you get to Fifth Street, you're going to turn right and just just go a couple of blocks, you're gonna come to a mobile station. When you get to the mobile station, go left. You're gonna go over a bridge. When you cross the bridge, there's gonna be a park on your right. Take the first street after the park, and you're gonna go about about a block, and there's gonna be this big oak tree. We're the third house after the oak tree on the left. (laughs) How many of you remember those kinds of instructions? (laughs) Praise God for GPS, amen? that we're not limited to that anymore. Um, So the Bible is now our means of navigation for the last days or for the return of Christ, but not to give us a date. The Bible not only doesn't give us a date, it warns us about trying to predict a date because nobody knows, only the Father knows the exact date. What God wants to do through scripture instead is he wants to create a timeline for us. He wants to give us a timeline of events and signs that will tell us when we're getting near the destination, when we're getting closer to that. And that's what scripture offers. If you brought your Bible this morning, I hope you did. Uh, If you need a Bible, there's probably one in the seat back pocket in front of you or under a seat. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus had a few things to say about the last days. Matthew chapter 24. I'll give you a moment to turn there. We're gonna begin reading in verse three. Jesus had been talking about the future destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which would take place uh, in 70 AD. He's talking about that to the disciples and in verse three, it says later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately And they said, Tell us, when will all of this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many people will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom of God will be preached throughout the entire earth so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Who cares, like really, like who cares about the last days? Why should we even be interested in it? What's the big deal about the second coming of Christ? We don't know the exact date. What's what's the point? Well, let me share a couple of things. First of all, the Bible says it's a big deal. The Bible makes the second coming of Christ a priority. 1,845 times in Scripture, the second coming of Christ is referenced. 1,845 17 of the 39 books of the Old Testament give a reference to the second coming of Christ. 23 of the 27 New Testament books, let me say that again, 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament all reference the second coming of Christ. Seven of every 10 chapters in the New Testament references the second coming of Christ, That's that's approximately one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament says something about the return of Christ. Scripture makes the return of Jesus a priority and a big deal. And I would say so so should we. If the Bible says it over and over, if if every 30 verses that you read in the New Testament that keeps popping up the return of Jesus, I I think we ought to take heed to the fact that this is significant. The second reason this is important or we should care about it is the Bible commands us to be prepared for the return of Christ. The Bible commands us over and over and over to be prepared, to not have it come at an unexpected time when we're not looking for it or or expecting it. Couple of scriptures. Romans 13, this is all the more urgent. Say "urgent." urgent. For you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shi- shining armor of right living. Here's what Jesus says in Revelation 16:15. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked And ashamed. Are you ready today for the second coming of Christ? Is your life in order? Or are you walking in darkness? Are you walking in sin? If Christ returned today, would you be confident and joyful in his return? Or would you be ashamed of the life that you're living? See, scripture commands us to be prepared. To, to take off the, 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 the garments of darkness and to put on the shining armor of right living. That's how we prepare for the coming of the Lord. We get our lives right. Is your heart right with God today? Are you expecting the return of the Lord? Because it could come at any time. I think this is a great topic to bring up with your oikos. I think it's a great topic to, sh- to start talking about with people in your relational world that don't know the Lord. Dusty Hoffman, he's on our teaching team. And a few years ago, he he taught us the best way to start spiritual conversations with people in your life that don't know the Lord. What's the best way to step into a conversation? He said, make a spiritual statement or an observation and then ask a spiritual question. So here's what you, I mean, this is like the the end times, the end of the world is like a, a slow pitch right down the middle of the plate waiting for you to hit a home run. It's like so easy, like say to somebody, Do you feel like the world is wacky? Do you you feel like things are going off the rail? Do Do you feel like this thing's getting out of control? Like, doesn't it seem like life is just all of a sudden super strange? Then the spiritual question. Do you think the world's coming to an end soon? If so, what's that gonna look like? And if they engage in that conversation, you can then share with them what you believe from a biblical perspective. What do you believe about? What does the Bible say about the end times? Spiritual statement, observation, followed by a spiritual question. So how do we know that we are in the last days on this timeline? Well, let me share five things with you quickly this morning. The first is this. In the last days, every Christian will receive the Holy Spirit. You're like, duh, Jeff, that's like a no-brainer. We already knew that. Well, let me explain. In the last days, every Christian will receive the Holy Spirit. Because that's not what it was like in the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, not all of God's people had the Holy Spirit. Only a select few for for, for a certain purpose. So kings had the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Prophets had the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Judges had the the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Craftsmen, when they were building the, the temple and the tabernacle, they had... They had the Holy Spirit, but not not every follower of God had the Holy Spirit. That was the Old Covenant. As they looked forward in the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, suddenly in the New Covenant, every follower of God would have the Holy Spirit. That was a totally different thing. And so the, the, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament prophesied about this day when the Holy Spirit would be given to all of God's people, not just a few. So on the day of Pentecost, which was around 33 A.D., 50 days after Jesus had had, had gone back to heaven, the Holy Spirit gets poured out on the church. And the apostles realize this is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. So Peter stands up and he preaches, and here's what he says. Peter is preaching this sermon after the Holy Spirit had been poured out. He says, in the last days, say in the last days, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all of my people, different than the old covenant. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Every one of my people will have the Holy Spirit. Young and old, male and female, Jew and Gentile, Rich and poor, every strata of society, everyone that says yes to Christ will receive the Holy Spirit. And that was going to mark the beginning of the new covenant. That was the new covenant when everybody had the Holy Spirit. Okay, So, so the disciples, they recognized that this was the beginning of the last days. The, the prophetic time clock started ticking. The, the clock was winding down from the day of Pentecost. Now, the, the disciples were Jewish, and they knew that, that central to Bible prophecy and the end times was the nation of Israel. Like, like you, can't, you can't understand the end times, the last days, without an understanding of the role of Israel in the last days. So the disciples began to ask Jesus, they say, hey Lord, are you gonna restore the nation of Israel now? Like, I know that the, the, the clock is ticking, are you gonna begin to deal with Israel? So here's what they asked Jesus. This was actually before the day of Pentecost. When the the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel from Gentile domination and restore our kingdom? Look at the question. Realizing that the the new covenant was here in Christ, the the clock was ticking, Jesus replied, the Father alone has uh, has the authority to set those dates and times. So we would be foolish to do that because they're not for you to know, Jesus says. Keep going. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's almost like he's ignoring the question about Israel. Wait, wait, wait. What about Israel? We're in the last days. What about the nation of Israel? What about our people? Jesus says it's not for you to worry about. But you, right now, in this dispensation, you've received the Holy Spirit He says, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Isn't that a strange answer? Jesus doesn't directly deal with the Israel question. He just says, yeah, it's not for you to know. Father has set those dates by his own authority. But you, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you are to be witnesses. So here's what happened. When Jesus came, his own people, the Jews, rejected him. The Jewish people rejected Christ, for the most part, as the Messiah. And what that did was that opened the door for the gospel, the good news of salvation, to go to the Gentile nations. It opened the door for God to to take the gospel to all of the nations of the world. So Jesus says, don't worry about Israel right now. You worry about preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, mostly where the Jews were. Judea, mostly where the Jews were. Samaria, not Jews ends of the earth, not Jews. So Jesus is saying the gospel is to go forth. Now listen to what Paul says in Romans 11. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So something has happened with the nation of Israel. They've hardened their hearts. And God is using that hardening to bring the gospel to all the nations. Jesus said this. Remember, we read it. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the world, whole world, so that all nations, Gentiles, will hear it. And then the end will come. So where are we in this countdown, this timeline? Let's take a look. Okay. So you see the cross. Fifty days after the cross was the day of Pentecost. Fifty days after Jesus went to the cross, he sent the Holy Spirit after he had ascended to heaven, around A.D. 33. And down below you see that we are in the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles. When God's focus right now is not on Israel, it will turn to Israel later, but right now the focus is preaching the gospel To all the nations, getting as many people saved in the world as possible. Then if you go along the timeline, you see that first line where it says seven years of tribulation. The very Right before that, and I'm going to share this more next week, my opinion, you don't have to believe it. I I believe the rapture of the church happens before that seven-year tribulation period. And then after the seven years of tribulation, the millennium. God's going to, when we get closer to that, that seven years of tribulation, deal with the nation of Israel. Okay, so what what season are we in right now? This is the time of the Gentiles, when the gospel is being preached to all the nations. The second thing is in the last days, Satan will influence the doctrines of the church. Satan will influence the doctrines of the church, and this has been going on since Christ came. Let's read the scripture this morning. Jesus said, many false prophets will appear and will what? deceive. Satan is the author of deception. Uh, So Satan is going to be at work in false prophets to bring false teaching, false doctrine into the church. Another scripture. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 3. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from who? Demons. So this is coming right from Satan and it's demonically influenced. These people are hypocrites and liars. Their consciences are dead. They will say it's wrong. Literally, they will forbid marriage. And it's wrong to eat certain foods. Now, that's just one of the things that Paul mentions in the last days, these doctrines of demons, these these demonically influenced teachings that are going to infiltrate the life of the church. Now, both both Paul and Jesus saw great virtue in singleness and celibacy. They were both single and they were both celibate. And they placed that at a a high level of value. They they saw that if, if someone wasn't engaged in marriage, if they weren't raising a family, that they would have more time and more singleness of devotion to spend in the Lord's work. But nowhere do they ever say, you shouldn't get married, Nowhere did they ever forbid marriage. Marriage was God's plan. Family is God's plan. That that was his intention, to populate the earth and and establish family all throughout the earth. That's God's purpose. So never does God say, don't get married or marriage is forbidden. In fact, he says, that's a a false teaching. So throughout the history of the church in the early days, there there were men and women who voluntarily took vows of celibacy. They said, I, I, I feel I have the gift of, of, of celibacy. I, I have this gift. I'm going to be single. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to raise a family. I'm going to just spend my whole life devoted to the Lord's work. And that's fine if they sense a gift of celibacy. But very few people have that. Most people, because we are created as sexual, sexual beings, we have a desire to be married, to have children, to have a family. That, that's part of who God created us to be. But in 1139, the Catholic Church mandated priestly celibacy. They said, if you want to go into the ministry, if you want to go into the priesthood, we forbid marriage. You cannot be married. And in 1536, 1563, the Council of Trent, a gathering of Catholic leaders, they affirmed and confirmed that doctrine. That if you go into the priesthood, you can't be married. They forbid marriage. What did it do? It opened the door for hellish, sexual abuse in the church because we weren't created that way. So a 2004 Catholic report said that in the last last 50 years, just in the United States, 4,000 Catholic priests have been accused of sexual abuse of 10,000 boys. Now, if that doesn't break your heart, I don't know what is. That's just the United States. And that's just in the last 50 years where they forbid marriage Paul prophesied that 2,000 years ago. This is going to be one of the influences of the evil one in the life of the church. If it's voluntary, that's fine. But if you impose that, if you forbid marriage, that's going to open the door for all kinds of hellish things. And that's what we've seen. The third thing is in the last days, uh, Israel would be restored as a nation. Israel would become a nation again. Okay? Okay. So let me give you a little history lesson really fast, if I can, in seven, remember after King Solomon, after he was the king, Israel was divided into two kingdoms or two nations. There was a northern kingdom that retained the name Israel. There was a southern kingdom that that took the name Judah. Uh, Judah, because it was just the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin in the south. The other 10 tribes were in the north, the northern kingdom of Israel. In 722 BC, because of idolatry, hardened heart and wickedness, the northern kingdom of Israel was overtaken by the Assyrians. Those 10 tribes went into Assyria, Assyrian captivity. They never recovered. They never came out. They simply, those 10 tribes were lost. They assimilated into the nations of the world. About 200 years later, because of the same reasons, sin, hardened hearts, idolatry, the southern kingdom of Judah was also taken over by the Babylonians they went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. After that time, a remnant came back, they went back to Jerusalem, their homeland, they rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the walls with Nehemiah and Ezra, they reestablished that. But then in the course of history, again because of sin, they found themselves under foreign leadership. In fact, they, they lost their land. So Israel was not only landless and homeless, but they were no longer a nation. They had simply assimilated into the world, okay? In 63 BC, the Romans took over the land of Israel from the Greeks. So by the time Jesus came around, at the beginning of of the century, when Jesus came, uh, Israel was a people, but they weren't a nation and they didn't own their land. They were living in Palestine, but it was under Roman rulership. They had lost that right? Uh, they, the, King Herod had rebuilt the temple, so they were able to have their temple sacrifices and their worship, but they were not in their own land. They didn't have it. And yet God was prophesying in the Old Testament that a day was coming when he was going to restore the nation of Israel. And on May 14th, 1948, that's what happened. God restored the nation of Israel. He had been gathering the Jewish people from all over the world. They'd come from all of the nations, regathering in Israel, in the land of Israel. And in that time, May 14th, 1948, they were restored to statehood. They were a nation again, and they were given back most of the land. So once again, they had a land, and once again, they were a people. Now, the Old Testament, you know, like... like, 2,600 years before that had prophesied about that. Here's what Isaiah said. Isaiah said, who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be given birth all at once? The answer to that is yes, with God. This has never happened historically. At no time has a people ceased to be a people or ceased to be a nation and then come back to be a a nation. God's almost almost saying, like, yeah, you, you don't think I can do it? Watch. I'm gonna scatter my people all throughout the earth. They're gonna lose their land, they're gonna lose their nation, and I'm gonna bring everything back and restore it because I have a purpose for Israel. May 14th, 1948. Do you remember the, the prophecy in Ezekiel about the valley of the dry bones? Anybody remember that? Do you know what that's about? It's about Israel being restored to statehood. Let's read that. Ezekiel 37, 4 to 6 and 11 to 14. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones, the dry bones in the valley and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord, because it's going to be a miracle. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, We have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. They were in exile all over the world. God says, the day is coming when I'm going to open those gates of exile and bring you back again as a people. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live again and return to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. So in 1948, God restored the nationality of Israel. The promise there was not just that He would restore them as a nation, but that He would restore them spiritually. And that day has not yet been fulfilled. That's going to come later. We'll talk about that. But the, but the, the reestablishing of Israel as a nation is huge in biblical prophecy. Because all this time we've been in the time of the Gentiles. All this time God's focus has been on preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth, saving the Gentiles. But when Israel became a nation, when Ezekiel 37 was fulfilled, that was a mark for us that God's about to turn his attention back to Israel. He had to reestablish them as a nation to begin to deal with them. So we are looking forward to the time when God begins to deal with Israel and that means we're we're getting pretty close on the timeline number 4 in the last days we'll see more earthquakes and natural disasters more earthquakes and natural disasters. Jesus said this, there will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. He uses the the metaphor of a woman in labor because ladies, when you're in labor, you know that the contractions, the closer you get to birth, are more intense and they're more frequent. And Jesus is saying natural disasters, earthquakes, all of these things in nature that you see, it's going to get more intense and more frequent the closer we get to the return of Christ. Between 2004 and 2014, 10-year span, 18 earthquakes with magnitudes of 8.0 or more occurred. That's a 265% increase over the previous 100 years. That was NBC News. The Institute for Economics and Peace said in 1960, We had 39 natural disasters. In 2019, we had 300, excuse me, in 96, 10 times as many over a 60 year period. The intensity and the frequency of these things is is increasing. Um, If you look up the financial cost behind these disasters, the cost is absolutely spiking. The economic damage that's being done by these natural disasters is increasing at a rapid, rapid rate. And number five, in the last days, the church will reject the truth of Christ. In the last days, the church will reject the truth of Christ. This is known as the great apostasy or the great falling away of the church. A couple scriptures. Again, Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 24. At that time, many will fall away and they will betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will rise up and mislead or lead many people astray, lead them away from the truth of sound doctrine. Another scripture, 1 Timothy 4, 1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith, sound doctrine, what the Bible actually teaches. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom on the earth. Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Preach the whole word. Preach all of the doctrine that you know is sound. Don't, Don't veer from it. Preach the whole counsel of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Another version says in season and out of season. Whether the message is popular or not, keep preaching the word. Whether culture accepts it or not, keep preaching the word. Whether you're persecuted or not, keep preaching the word. Whether the, the culture is going to shut you down as a church, it doesn't matter. Keep preaching the word. If there's physical or emotional harm aimed at you, keep preaching the word. Don't back down. Don't cower. Keep preaching the word, whether it's popular or not, whether it's going to be received and accepted or not. Preach the word. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good, sound teaching, good doctrine. And here's what he says. A time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. They'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth of Scripture and chase after myths. And friends, we're seeing that in the church right now, a falling away from the sound doctrine of the teachings of Christ and of the New Testament. It says they will, they will reject sound doctrine. One of the areas that we're seeing that in the church today is in the area of church leadership. Um, Titus says that, that if you're going to be an elder or a leader in the church, your life has to reflect sound doctrine. You're not perfect, but your life aligns with what scripture teaches. You believe what scripture teaches and you commit yourself to walking in it. In 1968, the Metropolitan Community Church began to ordain lesbian and gay clergy. Now, let me pause there for a second. Do we as the church need to have compassion and love for those who are confused sexually? Absolutely. Should people that are struggling with sexual identity, gender, or uh, s- uh, same-sex attraction, or whatever it might be, should they be allowed to be, to be a part of a church and hear the gospel message of Jesus and hear the teachings of Christ? Absolutely. Should they be allowed to be ordained into leadership in the church? Absolutely not. And Paul made that clear to both Timothy and Titus, that if you're going to lead the church, your life has to reflect sound doctrine. And, and that, that lifestyle is, is a sexual deviation from biblical truth. 1972, the United Church of Christ, the first mainline Protestant denomination, began to ordain uh, gay and lesbian clergy. The Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the Presbyterian Church of the USA, United Methodist Church, Episcopal Church, Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, the Anglican Church, and many other churches globally have, have continued to ordain and recognize leadership of transgender, gay, and lesbian leaders. Now, again, do we need to have compassion towards people struggling in these areas in their life? Absolutely. Do we ordain them to leadership? Absolutely not. It's not sound doctrine. It's not what the New Testament teaches. Universalism is a belief that rejects the doctrine of hell. It either says that hell doesn't exist or that hell is only temporary. Some people might go to hell temporarily, but everybody eventually ends up in heaven. That's not what Christ taught. That's not what the apostles taught. That's not what the New Testament teaches. Jesus taught an actual eternal hell, not a temporary hell. Jesus taught an eternal hell. But because we want it to be more accepting and inclusive, we don't want anybody to think that God would send someone to hell. So we soften that and say, no, everybody really will eventually get there. That got its root in the 18th century. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel rejects the doctrine of suffering. It teaches that it's God's will always for us to be healthy, wealthy, and not to suffer. That denies the transforming power and purpose of suffering in life. There there is a redemptive purpose to suffering. We live in a broken world and Christ wants to walk us through our suffering because Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered in his life, we will suffer in our lives. It's It's not all health and wealth and prosperity in life. There's an element of suffering and we grow close to Christ who suffered as well when we go through periods of suffering, false teaching word faith teaching rejects the doctrine of God's sovereignty. In other words, I control my destiny by what I speak. If I, if I speak out and confess the promises of God, I can have them. I don't need God anymore because I determine my own destiny by what I confess and by what I say. I I can have any of God's promises if I simply confess them. I am now the sovereign of my life. God is no longer sovereign. Whether or not it's the will of God for me to enjoy these things or whatever, if I confess them, if I declare them in faith, then I'll have that. False teaching. And many churches will continue to fall away from the truth of Jesus Christ and sound doctrine in the last days. Let's look at our timeline again as we close. Cross, 50 days later, AD 33, the Holy Spirit's poured out. That's the beginning of the new covenant. The, t- the clock of, of prophetic um, truth is beginning to tick. And we looked in 1100, about 1100, false teaching, doctrines of demons. We, that, that was not just in 1100, but we kind of marked it there. 1948, Israel becomes a nation. 2000 increase in major earthquakes and, and disasters. The apostasy of the church, which continues to happen all within the time or the season of the Gentiles. Now, if you look on that chart, the next line there is the beginning, is the rapture of the church and then the seven years of tribulation. Now, next week we're gonna talk about the rapture. I'm gonna share my views on that. You don't have to buy into them. I believe in a, a pre-tribulation rapture that the rapture of the church will happen before the tribulation. You can believe that or not. It doesn't matter. I'll share kind of what I believe next week. But here's the reality, friends, that the, the, the seven years of tribulation is when God turns his focus to Israel. Israel's already become a nation again, and the clock is ticking. I didn't mention everything in the Bible related to signs of the coming of Christ, but some of the obvious ones. Scripture teaches that the rapture of the church could happen anytime. It's not dependent on any more signs that have yet to be fulfilled for Christ to come and take his bride. Let me ask, what needs to change in your life today? for you to be ready for Christ's return. Are you walking in darkness? Would you be ashamed today if Jesus returned with the life that you're living? Do you need to take off the garments of darkness in your life and put on the shining armor of right living? If you're not a Christian, Have you considered the offer that Jesus Christ gives to you to be saved, to have an eternity with him? Are you ready for Christ to break through the clouds? Is your heart in the right place? And are you being diligent to share this truth with people you love in your relational world? That what I believe about the the end of time is that Christ is going to return. And when he does, it's too late. Tell people there's an urgency to consider God and his plan. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we are a little fearful as we think about your word, yet joyful. Joyful that that great day of being swept away with our groom. That delights our heart. But Lord, there are people in our lives that don't know you. Lord, would you give us a sense of urgency, not only to clean our lives up and to prepare ourselves for your return, but to begin to warn others that something is coming that they need to be prepared for. Help us be diligent in that, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. And Everybody said...